Okay, right, right on. Starting now. Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. We're in it now. Um, so today we have Mark Groves on. I mean, this is so surreal because it's like one of those people who out throughout the pandemic, throughout this crazy past two years, their voices, because you listen to them so much, almost like a, a, a second voice in your life. It's, it's you know, I wouldn't go to wouldn't be too forward by saying it's almost like family or a really close friend you just listen to these people mark yeah yeah i i know your voice has been on throughout my house for the past year just kind of in the background on your podcast we play them out loud so it's like this whole thing comes full circle for myself so that's really quite cool and before we dive into kind of you know maybe how i how i describe it to people i'll just kind of briefly go over how i came across you because that's a, an interesting part of i think everyone's story is how, how do you meet how you make these connections throughout these these odd times um i was living in kitsilano actually at the time and i, I know you you lived in vancouver for some time and uh Our home i used to live in kits okay you did hey wow yeah right on yeah so so you'd be familiar with the areas then i was going through actually through through spirit park and right up by ubc area oh, there stunning beautiful yeah. place. magic it is magic. A great way to describe it. Totally. And it's just like, it's, it's funny when it's like, when times are bad, it's, it's like when it rains, it pours, right? Like it just, maybe it's your internal feeling being, you know, how you portray the world. If you're either in a dark sense yourself or in a dark place, everything kind of seems dark. Right. Um, and that was like the past two years really felt that. And of course, winter and things are ugly. And then I'm listening to Kid Carson, Shirt Up Mark comes on and I go, God, this guy is really sensible. And I, I appreciated your, your insight into everything because I think you approached it from a way that was really, you know, open and honest. And, and like you said, in many cases, you're just trying to facilitate dialogue, right? Like, let's have a discussion. Let's figure out what's going on here. And coming at it from kind of a, um, you know, a love sense, like an like a, a emotional sense, right? Many people came at this from their place of love, like you'd mentioned before. And um, it's really too bad because I think the, the emotions um, kind of superseded that understanding of ourselves and going, actually, whoa, 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 let's, let's take this down. I might be acting out, but really I'm coming at it from an emotional standpoint and the standpoint of, you know, I care about other people. So that was a really cool perspective. And it, it was a nice one because I think for a lot of people, they had really set, set um, political beliefs prior to, to COVID and, and they were just kind of being played out in their own way throughout it as well. When really this was a situation that was kind of multifaceted, you had to be calm and you had to take that, that approach. And so I really appreciated that. And I, of course, then it was like, who is this guy? It's so cool. And then someone had said, well, Mark Groves is the relationship guy. It's like the relationship guru. And then I got introduced to that side and it was really quite cool. So I, I don't know how, how to best des- describe it. I would kind of call you like a human connection specialist. I think that's how, even how you I've referred to yourself in some cases, and, and I, I just put in brackets on my notes, reasonable guy, <laughs> really reasonable guy. So, <laughs> I'll I take know. that. Yeah, reasonable guy. <laughs> if there's like anything it. I want on my tombstone, <laughs> guy would be a Yes, yeah. Let's I mean, honest, yeah. totally, totally. I, it was, is that a, a good way you describe yourself, Mark? Or is, is there something you, you maybe want to add to that, some of your own background or, or specialties that I maybe missed uh-huh. there? I mean, I think that's that's a fair representation. I am obsessed with understanding human behavior. I have been for most of my life. It really focused on business relationships at first, how to influence behavior. I was a pharmaceutical rep for 14 years. So that's relevant to, you know, having awareness about the industry, how marketing works, how product launches work, all that stuff uh, gave me insight into the last uh, three years. And I then studied romantic relationships and that 
that I've been doing for the last 10 years, speech, speaking, writing, teaching, all that kind of stuff on that. And those worlds kind of collided in COVID. And I honestly didn't expect that. I, I didn't expect, you know, I'm, I'm probably like most people when I, it first COVID came out, I interviewed a friend of mine who's a physician to talk about the risks of it. I was very interested in people being informed when the vaccine came out. I was interested in the clinical trials. I, you know, and but things just kept hitting orange flags for me. Like things weren't making sense. Things weren't adding up. And it didn't start with me being like, this is total bullshit. It started with others like, I need to understand this a little better. And so I'd seek more information. Uh, but I really started to see the red flags psychologically with the way that we were being put against each other. And that really starting with Trudeau's uh, snap election and the what he campaigned on, which is a wedge topic, which he said he would never do. He also said a lot of things he'd never do that he's yeah. become. Yeah. And now he's saying he never did those things, which is again, sort of classic psychological tricks of a narcissist. So, you know, someone who's influencing you in a, and wanting you to be destabilized. I don't know that it's malicious. It just is, you know, it's politics. Uh, but yeah, it's, so my background is really just being obsessed with understanding it. And that didn't stop with this. It made me really hungry to understand marketing, propaganda, uh, psychological influence, how it works on a global scale. How does, you know, I used to launch drugs. So I know how to get key opinion leaders to get positions of power to then influence GPs. And that's how it works. That's how all launches work. In Canada, you're not legally allowed to market to consumers, but we saw that be bypassed because public health became the marketing arm of pharma. Uh, and I understand all this from the desire to want to change behavior because that's what public health ultimately wants to do. There just is an ethical line between what you're allowed to do, what violates informed consent, what um, weaponizes fear. You know, you, you're not allowed to exploit fear. You're also not allowed to exploit the thing that matters to humans most, which is connection. And that's what they did. And so those all were big alarm bells for me because I was feeling the pain in my own relationships. I was feeling very judged just for being curious. Like I, I didn't know that you couldn't question something like just be curious about it. Like a healthy level of hesitancy would be, hey, there's this new thing that's ever never made it to the market. Everybody take it. No, like I'd like to at least think about this. So, I mean, that's a, I don't know how you describe that kind of <laughs> job. <laughs> well, well, curious and obsessed. Well, we've been talking to just so many people, obviously, throughout the course of the pandemic. Um, and often what does come up, as, as you just kind of explained, is how you ended up where you did like how the the pandemic experiences sort of shaped your way of thinking and everyone always has this just a very unique story and i mean you've, you've touched on it for sure but where were you exactly in 2020 when when the pandemic hit uh you know we were told that there was two weeks flat in the curve did it take until yeah. the vaccines coming out and you kind of questioning that side or did you find that a little odd the the two weeks and what was like sort of the starting point where you started questioning and you were getting backlash from people oh man I was in Whistler and I was at a cabin and I was finding some sort of uh space in the woods to contemplate life I'd been going through a breakup five months before that so 
I was in a re reinventing phase and I didn't know I'd also be in a total collapsing phase. <laughs> the, the, be the beginning was when I saw the videos of people falling on their face that were released from China. And then when I started to see COVID making its way into Canada and the United States, people weren't falling on their face. So there was like a little bit of like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Why would they want us to be more terrified? Then the next little grain that hit me was I used to sell a product that used the PCR test. And I knew you couldn't use the PCR test for diagnostic purposes because that was a big part of the product that I used is you couldn't guide it to be used that way. And I knew how it worked. I knew how cycle thresholds worked. I knew that if you magnified, if you did enough cycle thresholds, you'd get a positive of basically anything. And that's language that even Fauci uses that above 35 cycle threshold, you're picking up dead nucleotide. So most of the labs in BC, Canada in general were above 35, some above 40. And I thought, well, okay, if they really wanna accurately measure if there's cases, wouldn't they wanna have an accurate measurement like a cycle threshold that's lower? That would make sense to me. And so that, again, I was like, why wouldn't they want to have an accurate case count? And then when people were dying, I was like, why don't they want, why can, is just someone, if someone dies, it's like COVID death. There's no question. And I thought that doesn't make sense. If, if you really want to have accurate data to know the severity of something, you would want to have accurate information. So that was, again, another, these were all happening pretty simultaneously. They were happening very quickly. And you weren't allowed to question anything. That again, became like sort of the biggest red flag is, they were promoting it in pregnant women. And I, I was like, wait, I read the clinical trials and also the clinical trials they sold on relative risk reduction, 95% relative risk reduction. I wondered why they didn't choose uh, transmission, stopping transmission as an endpoint. I knew that in, if it's not an endpoint, then you can't then claim it in marketing, right? Like when drugs get approved, they get indications. And so they're indicated to treat. So these were given emergency authorization, depending on the country, but to reduce severe disease, because that's what the clinical trial endpoints were. Yeah. So I remember saying to a friend, oh, there's no reduction of transmission endpoint. First off, I know that pharma companies choose endpoints they generally know they're going to hit. They're very specific about that. And they know that if they get approval for one thing, they can sometimes get used for other things. And that's when a drug's being used out of indication like ivermectin was. So when I looked at that, that, I remember saying to a friend, oh, they didn't choose reduction of transmission. And he lost his mind on me. Why would they not do that? You're, do you think you're an epidemiologist? You think you're smarter than the virologist? And I was like, Seriously, dude, I'm just saying that it's not an endpoint. You can be mad at the trial, but don't get mad at me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was that emotionality that I was starting to see. Yeah. At the same time, I was reading like a plethora of science. I was reading a plethora of information. I saw the absolute risk reductions were actually pretty small. I saw that the highest risk factor was really obesity and comorbidities. No one was allowed to talk about things that impacted your immune system. People were getting censored from YouTube. And from Instagram, I couldn't write the word vaccine without there being like, I got shadow banned for sharing legitimate science, you know, and all of these things, especially the fact that you could not say, hey, I'm not sure about this. This doesn't make sense for me. You immediately got vilified by people because they were trained to attack you for being selfish. The positioning of 
why we were supposed to get it was really interesting. The six feet apart, not based on any science. The, they knew that COVID was aerosolized way earlier. The data on face masks, so interesting that you can't even talk about it. People get so emotionally reactive. That's because it's not rational, it's emotional. You could, so, you could show someone all the science in the world, but they're fed by fear and that's not their fault. That's public health's fault and that's yeah. the politician's fault. Yeah. That's why when someone is very reactive to me, I'm like, I get it. Like, I get it. Yeah, you had the greatest psychological operation and manipulation ever done in human history from more avenues than have ever happened. And you had connection and belonging and family weaponized against you. Yeah. How could you stand a chance? I mean, totally. I don't, I feel bad for you. Absolutely. And it, it, it's, and that's kind of the fear is that it was like, this was normalized. Like I said, this is a legitimate, this is kind of the, the reason I think why it's still beneficial to have discussions like this is because it's to show that actually there's a, there's another way to do this. There's the, this was not the right way to, to go about this. And, and this needs to be, no. we can't, we can't just accept that this is how we're going to deal with every situation in the future with, with total, you know, feeling of normalcy as, as it, as it comes down from, from the, uh, the, the powers that be that that's just not how it works. So yeah, a, a great point. And, and um, how important the personal red flags are to people, right? I mean, that's just a huge thing is a loss of trust in, in a person's self as you go through this. I think that's a big thing at school right now, nothing to do with anyone's bad or, or less than anybody or stands in a different position as to intellect or, or to, to character. It's just that, there's a, I think in many cases, there's a, a, a personal, you know, uh, you give up your own kind of critical thinking. And, and I know critical thinking is overused in many senses, but it, confidence in yourself to say, I've got a red flag, right? And it, we establish red flags since we're young, since we're little kids, you know, this is wrong. Something's odd with that. Even as we know how we react and when we're young to, to when we do something wrong, right? Like I'm thinking back to as a kid and you know, you made a mistake. You often act, you know, as a young child in a, in a reactionary state, which is, you know, the, the ends are more than the means and justifying the means. Your parent will ask you something simple and you get really angry, but you know, and then of course, as you're, you, you know, can't express, that, you can't put, yeah. you can't articulate why you're upset. So a lot of the time it comes out as anger. Totally. I think that's sort of what we were seeing with a lot of people yes. during the pandemic was yeah. they didn't know what was going on and they didn't have the, the data or the facts to sort of back up their points. They were just being told a certain thing. And I, I do understand where it's coming from, um, but it even was, you know, prevalent before the pandemic. I was noticing that sort of behavior of, of feeling angry and emotional in response to someone questioning something or, um, yeah. you know, it, whatever it was. Uh, why, why do you think that's happening? Why, when do you think that sort of, oh, wow, sorry, my, I have a fire, <laughs> a fire fire or whatever. Um, yeah, where do you think that was coming from? Why do you think that's happening? You know, I think that's a great question because we certainly haven't seen the intolerance for dialogue. We've seen it for a while now. You know, people were ringing alarm bells a bit ago. And I was, you know, if you haven't read the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, it's an essential reading that really explores, and it's written by a psychologist, a social psychologist who studies morality, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff who's a lawyer. And they wrote an article called that. And then it became a book because it was so popular. And it really looks at why do we not have the ability to handle disagreement anymore? You know, as soon as someone disagrees, and if you look at the most sensitive subjects in the world right now, which there are a few, if you criticize or have feedback or thoughts that 
are in opposition to just do whatever you want, you are seen as anti that thing. Mm -hmm. I find that very fascinating because really what it says is anything you say that causes me to feel emotionally dysregulated means you have to shut up because I've not had to learn how to emotionally be dysregulated and hold it. You know, we've sort of taught people that they get to cancel the environment. They get to cancel anything that's uncomfortable because their right is emotional safety always. But the world is not emotionally safe in general. You know, all you have to do is go on a Twitter thread and you'll realize that. And, you know, I think what, of course, there's an, a correction that needed to occur to language that wasn't being used appropriately, to ways of being, to privilege, to the Me Too movement, to Black Lives Matter. All these things are really important. It's just that these overcorrections where no dialogue is allowed, and if you are trying to dialogue, you're seen as right wing. Like, look at the political spectrum. I would have for sure identified as more left. I would have for sure voted liberal historically. I just never voted because I didn't live my civic duty till the last election, um, which is my own fault. And I would have. I would have identified as that in Vancouver. I mean, you don't even have a choice. You have to leave if you want to be conservative. And I, you know, I think it's really interesting now that I have every view that's still liberal except I am against mandates and I'm against the throwing out of your brain when it comes to dialogue. Like I'm not here to participate in you not having to learn how to expand the potential of dialogue and conversation. If you don't want to do that, I'm not going to change who I am. Like, I think it's so fascinating on the internet that I'll say something and someone will say, I don't, I don't want you talking about this. Like stay in your lane is a classic. And it's like, well, then just leave. Like you yeah. want me to then adjust what I talk about so that you can keep following me? Like, I'm not, I don't want to participate in your behavior manipulation, especially when someone says I'm unfollowing you. My response to them is first off, no one cares. Like you don't need to announce your exit and you need to heal the part of you that thinks people need to know. So they'll come and chase you and change their behavior. That's the really the part we need to talk about. So I think it began probably if you look at the research that Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff talk about is it goes back to safetyism parenting in the 90s, where helicopter parents, as people might refer to them as, and you saw that they were really like coddled. They weren't, they were trying to be protected from any injury, any conversation. And there was a thought that that would change in college. But what happened in college in like 2009, 2010, is that universities started to side with students and abandoning professors. And that was a really big turning point because now the colleges, which used to have about a two to one conservative to liberal uh, sort of leaning uh, in their professors. And some of the arts now is 60 to one liberal to conservative. So what happens is, is debates in colleges are really not the left debating the right and opposing views that are trying to find a deeper truth or a deeper yeah. piece of wisdom. Yeah. They're actually the left, far left versus the middle left. And so without diverse view, without diverse thought, without diverse conversation, you actually like think of all the best relationships and families. They all actually seek from disagreement, find deeper connection, deeper intimacy, deeper understanding. And that's essential for a democracy too. You know, it's no doubt that the most essential skill in a romantic relationship, no shock, is also an essential skill for having high functioning families and communities. Yeah. That was a very long answer. 
I mean, it's kind of like you don't want that friend who's agreeing with you on everything. You want someone who can challenge you and and present a different perspective. Um, That's how you grow. And and those have always been the most um, successful relationships in my life are the ones where people are challenging me to grow and think differently. And and yeah, um, universities are becoming these echo chambers. I mean, I, I was in university starting in 2013. And, you know, I was working in industry for a while, then I went back. And I noticed how much it had already changed and all these issues escalated, uh, which was just very frustrating to me seeing how um, professors were mocking unvaccinated students. They were mocking conservative students in the class, assuming everyone was left-leaning. And I thought, this is, this is getting really bad. And, you know, all the left-leaning topics that were bring, being brought up and never presenting the other side, just saying it's wrong. It's wrong to think that way. Let's not talk about it. Yeah which is so not left-leaning. Like I, I grew up in, in a, I would say, traditional left house and liberal, Me you too. know, you should vote a liberal. And it was, yeah, it was, that was, you know, uh, way, yeah, definitely the way I was raised. But it's really funny because I, I still hold very true to those principles. They're quite, quite simple, mm-hmm. right? The freedom of speech and very basic. People have the right to religion and all these, you know, it's yourself. You have the right to to make choices on, on most everything unless you're hurting somebody else, right? Or hurting society. And, and um and it's really funny. I just say, you know, I mean, I, I, I really tested the waters this semester just to the point of it being in schools. I'm like, actually, a class called liberalism right now uh, and a class called conspiracy theories. And I thought this would be interesting. Wait, just there's to- a class on conspiracy theories? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, usually wow. I think a big thing, too, is, 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 is shying away from it, right? And going like, gosh, you know, I know what's going to be taught. I don't want to do that. And actually, that would kind of just be adding to the problem, I think, is, is pushing your, yourself away. Great from- to join in because you're like. Yeah. Wow, I get to come in and be like, Debate. that I mean was another red flag that anything that opposed a main narrative was just instantly called a cons- like vax passports, which, yeah. hey, they made their way. I just saw a recent study from JAMA that said that um, the mRNA vaccine is found in women's breast milk. That was considered a, a conspiracy yeah. theory and yeah. physicians were canceled for saying that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. on lab, everything. Yeah, exactly. And, and and it's so funny, too, because we're using language that really, you know, it's it's critical that we actually understand the language we're using, even the, the term misinformation. I had to correct a teacher on my first day and and, uh, and say, well, you know, you, you, what does that mean? You have to be very careful when we're, we're saying language like this, right? It's, it's as our, our job as academics, to, we can philosophize and that's nice and that's great to have those discussions and be open and we have to be grounded at the same time. And that's just a responsibility right. as adults. And of course, we go into professions, we have to be grounded to some fact. And I said, so let's, you know, let's describe it. And, and, and sure enough, she who was using this, um, you know, throughout her whole presentation really didn't, didn't know what it meant. And I said, you know, it's an impossible term, even in this sense, it's almost kind of a funny term when you think of it, because it's, an, it's impossible to verify. It's subject to everyone's personal perspective on what would be misleading information. So it's, it's near to impossible. So I had to say, you know, this isn't fraud. It's not, it's, you can call it misinformation, but to someone else, it's the truth and it's just information. So it's, it's, it's really interesting as we're going, I, I'm, I'm probably going on like way too much, but it's funny because it's in these conversations of, you know, these sensible times coming out of this crazy time. Um, it's still in it in many cases, but where you just start, you know, like all comes on the table, you're getting all these thoughts that uh, have come up in the past. But, you know, you mentioned an interesting point as it, as it affects this, the lockdowns and everything, and just the mentality in the past years. I mean, censorship and everything as well. And I think Lee made a great point is we really wanted to, to, to get your opinion on this is just the impact 
you know, that, that social pressure and the social confines that we were kind of put in place in the past two years, the effect on relationships. I mean, like you said, it, it is nice to have those things, like challenge, right? Those basics, but, but gosh, it's, we really, we really went in the office. I think we really, unfortunately, and the interesting for you, from your perspective, it's kind of someone who, who deals with relationships and, 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 you know, has a good understanding of them the ways in which that was, imp it impacted people. I mean, it destroyed marriages in many different cases. Do you yeah, have any uh, points on that? Yeah, I mean, lockdowns, that was one of the big flags to me as well, because the, I wanted to look up the data on lockdowns and their validity, and I saw that they didn't have any science to support them. So I thought, okay, two weeks to flatten the curve, I can get on board with this moderate experiment for two weeks, and that's all we needed to do, and then the virus would be flattened, and uh, you know, as I've said before, two two years to flatten the human spirit. That's what really happened. And um, we weren't even allowed to be critical of that. And, you know, that's, I think, been one of the most harmful parts of all of this is self-censorship. And that uh, if you express a view, you're instantly seen as someone purveying misinformation, even if it's a valid clinical trial, even if it's peer-reviewed, even none of that matters anymore. As Julie Panessi talks about, credential is no longer about a PhD or Oxford or Harvard. It's about consensus. And we should all actually just be incredibly alarmed by that. Because if you look at human history, anytime an opposing view is not allowed to be brought forward to the main space where we can watch a debate happen between different views, which public health should have done, which, but, but I get it. They don't want to create hesitancy, but you shouldn't be able, you shouldn't gaslight people's natural response to be hesitant to certain perspectives. Uh, the impact on relationships has been significant because you know, when I look at, you know, what I expressed on Kit Carson's show is when I look at, really, I think everybody is orienting around very similar values. You know, one person is afraid of dying and the other person is afraid of losing their sovereignty and their freedom. Uh, and, and so how they're protecting those things might look different. But the problem is, is that we've moralized generally our own perspectives. That can be of any side of any perspective. What I notice is that the left side of politics now preserves its views through righteousness. We're being a good person. I am a good person. If you don't believe this, you're not a good person. I mean, look at the language that was used by politicians. We're keeping each other safe. First off, it doesn't reduce transmission. We definitely know that since Delta, that data has been available. They hate that that's true. Viral loads were similar between different patients, vaccinated or not. You know, like there's all this data is available to people. But when they said you're keeping each other safe and you go, you want to get this because you don't want to kill grandma. You get it for other people. You wear your mask to protect other people. And if you don't do these things, so you're either a good person and you, you do this behavior that helps you self-identify too. That's why it's so manipulative is People in general believe they're good people, which is a good thing. Canadians especially are internationally known as being nice. We apologize for shit that we're not even actually sorry for because we're afraid of conflict. And that's a joke internationally. But if you look at it, it's very codependent. Like we'd rather keep the peace. And if I look at sort of the, or the ethos of Canadian culture is we're still a commonwealth, right? Like we're still part of England. We never actually fought for liberation from England. So at the basis of our culture is not liberation. And of course you can go too far and there can be individualism at the cost of community, but there can also be collectivism at the cost of the individual, right? So this is about how do we find balance? 
And any conversation about individuality is right away seen as selfishness. So the language used was very on purpose and they know that they chose the words they chose specifically, keep six feet apart, do it for everyone else. All that stuff infers that if you're a good person, you have this behavior. If you don't do it, then you either have to accept that you're not a good person or separate your identity from something that's out of integrity, if that makes sense. It's like if you grow up religious and your religion teaches you that being sexual is bad. Well, you're human, so you have arousal. So you either have to live with shame, which a lot of people do. I Something is wrong with me because I have arousal. I want to masturbate. I experience arousal. I see a boob and I get excited. You know, like all these things that are just natural. So you either have to believe the thing and then take a hit on your own self, believe there's something wrong with you, or actually see that you're normal, which is usually the recovery that people have in adulthood yeah. and realize that the belief or the structure was actually the thing out of integrity. It's very similar to the separation that people are having to differentiate, which is if anything, it's this like immense opportunity for people to really either, which is unfortunate, either people um, succumb to the pressure to the collectivism, to the shame, to the identity, to the coercion, which a lot of people did. And I have so much compassion for them. And then a lot of people also saw, wait, these systems don't make sense. And now what formally, you know, what's interesting about Canada is corruption really was very implicit. You didn't see it. It's not over. It's not obvious. But if anything, we are seeing people are making statements where you're like, that is based not on any reality. Like you can't, like you hear Omar, I forget his last name, Malgram, yeah. Galbra or whatever his last name is, no disrespect, Omar. But you hear him talk and, and, and the liberals in question period, which you might hate what the conservatives say in question period, good, yeah, I don't care. But you hear them, they don't answer any questions. They just use the exact same talking points that have nothing to do with the question. And they say, we're following the science we're doing what's right. We have each other's backs. That's all they say. But it wasn't based on any science. It, it was all behavior manipulation. Yeah, so absolutely. the impact on relationships is significant because if I didn't make the choice, that means I'm a good person. Then now there's an inference of my values. And I'll hear someone say this on the other side, like our values are different. And I'm like, actually, they're probably not. But the idea that you think they are is actually the whole purpose of the hierarchy and we try to protect our own identities by believing that our own identity is good. And if you look at the work of Brene Brown, although Brene Brown during the pandemic was causing a little separation, her work is brilliant. She's a brilliant human. She talks about how if you look at every piece of history, dehumanization always begins with language. Because as humans, if we have this group, this circle that I draw around who I am, everyone who's like me I can't harm. Psychologically, it would be too hard for me to harm people like me. But as soon as I say, hey, they're selfish, and look at the language that uh, Trudeau used. There's a fringe group. They have unacceptable views. They are often misogynist, racist, and anti-science. Well, we already know how we treat people who are misogynist and racist. Those are completely unacceptable. But now, because you've unconsciously associated this group with these groups, you now are creating it so culture, society is unconsciously being programmed to say, oh, wow, they're also those things. And if you look, 
the timing of that language, and people might say it wasn't on purpose, although I don't think politicians really do anything by accident. Um, but if you look at the timing of that language, it was right before more mandates were coming in, more the flight mandates. Everything was just so timed to say it's actually going to be okay. People actually started to vote and want people who were unvaccinated to not get healthcare yeah. to actually die. Like when we yeah. study history, we look at history and we can go, and you weren't even allowed to compare this, by the way, to anything historical. You were instantly called anti Semitic. But the point isn't when we compare the behavioral patterns to World War II and why Nuremberg was created, which you're also not allowed to do that because that's also anti-Semitic. What's really, again, these are all words we use. You're racist, you're misogynist, you're anti-Semitic, you're anti-vax. They're all words that you're right-wing. They're instantly language that put people in an identity. And when I have you in a box, then I'm safe because you're predictable now. I don't have to listen to you because I can just dismiss you. Absolutely. I know your motivation. I could rant all day. No, no, no. Look, this is why you're here. We want you to rant. Um, But like you've made so many good points that I I would like to touch on, but exactly something that I um, struggled with, with even, you know, former friends or just people I was chatting with was I would say, the ideology leading up to the atrocities of the Holocaust are very similar. There's a lot of parallels where, yeah, the the, yeah. the way that the Jewish people were labeled, they were labeled things like, you know, vermin and compared to, to rats, dirty. things like that, that they're disgusting, they're dirty. And what do you want to do with something like a rat? You want to yeah. eradicate it because it spreads disease, all these things. And they were constantly and repeatedly labeled as these things until people really felt that anger and rage towards them you know and so and then it became yeah, yeah exactly yeah. And, and even saying like you should be taking up a hospital bed for someone who actually got vaccine deserves it it's like well this isn't and really making a, sense no <laughs> and such an interesting thing to add on that is that you weren't allowed to to make a comparison, and and I, I get why some people were you know they didn't want you to 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 disrespect what someone else had been through, but yeah, you don't you know, want to minimize the experience no. of the people, yeah. Yeah. but you can make a reference to a historical oh, yeah. pattern without it's actually saying we learn from this exactly yeah. it's the benefit and it's it's what I would assume you know I can't speak for anyone else, but I hope people would in that time period felt like well I hope at least people in the future can learn from this right like I, there is something to be learned from. So it's beneficial in that way. And it's just human nature to make connections. And especially when you're going through something you know, it's as big as this, it's just understandable. But it's a funny thing too, because then many people also, you weren't allowed to make a, a connection to a different time in history in regards to the one we're in right now. But also the people who were saying this would then go about, I found many cases, saying, well, when you made a complaint, well, it's not that bad in comparison to this other is- issue going on in the world right now. Like the Ukraine, oh, I made a few comments and I said, well, you know, it's dangerous to say that I made a post on Instagram, dangerous to say that, you know, the National Post came out with an article, I think it said 63% of Canadians, I don't know where they're getting this poll, but I, in a scary way, I kind of believe it wanted the unvaccinated people, unvaccinated to be um, in prison. You know, that's pretty scary stuff, right? Like that's, that should, no matter where you stand, that should at least go, whoa. <laughs> I hope that should make you wonder where we're at psychologically. Exactly. And, but even to negate it and say, well, another issue is more important than that. You know, it kind of, takes away from basic teachings we learn at a young age like what martin luther king said right an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere very basic stuff and so it is important that we are aware of of, of other times and, and uh yeah it, it's 
pretty critical. So again, it was again another just another instance of a, a lack of dialogue, right? A lack of meaningful dialogue in, in that sense. But uh, one more point I wanted to, to really touch on was um, I, I just read an article yesterday. I had to for one of my classes, and very much touched on reasons for it. Was my teacher was, was quite pro mandate and and quite pro vaccine, um, pro COVID vaccine had to give us given us our article to read as to justification why we needed to get vaccinated which is already a so little bit of a interesting that that's an article in class like you think yeah, if you're studying propaganda you're like wait are we totally propaganda? yeah exactly yeah. right and totally are you allowed right. to criticize the paper i'm i'm not the most favorite person in the class from my teacher's standpoint and i don't think but we students have actually been really great in the fact that I think a lot of students are real, really critical thinkers and they're honest. And it's just an yeah. unfortunate instance where a lot of times the teacher puts a cap on the critical thinking that can actually occur in the classroom, at least the, their, the discussion. Their identity would have to fall apart, their mental totally. model. Exactly. Yeah. Even by saying an instance, you know, um, suggesting even just by a, you know, in a small verbal comment or a physical comment to a certain issue, you shouldn't be involved because it gives a student. Uh, you know, you don't want to influence students' uh, ability to to voice their own opinions in a, in a thoughtful and healthy way. But right. just in, in reference to the article, it was really had to do with the fact that some people, and as you know, there's a lot of emotional stories, which again, very much a, a guiding cause for why people I think really supported the mandates. Very emotional, not a lot of science, but the science that was there very briefly went over that the number of subjects we listened to were all elder, very overweight. And this is a really interesting issue because it's one that I, I just can't seem to get away. Is really this comes down to an issue with basic health, fitness, well-being that we saw yeah. during COVID, and, and such an important issue. Even even just regardless of COVID, there's already a level of censorship about just talking about you know dieting or, or the best treatment path for you know discussing naturopaths, right? Just just naturopathic medicine alone has already been kind of shut down and censored to a certain degree. And, and just an interesting aspect you said is that a lot of people when that, that you know, having to make yourself feel bad or, or closing yourself into a box, because I think a lot of good people who did have concerns or questions, you know, by, by saying that, you know, you're in connection with misogynists or racist, you automatically would feel bad about yourself to a certain extent, right? You want to comply. That. You yeah. want to comply, totally. And I know I, I felt that. to be in that group. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a person who completely, you know, doesn't stand for those kinds of things. And you kind of naturally, some odd part of you almost associates yourself with that for no reason, just because somebody in a position of power said it. So I, I'm no, you know, I wasn't easy on myself in many cases, but how much that alone, stress and that anger can lead to bad dieting, bad extra, you know, no exercise, drinking in many cases. So I mean, is that something you, you just was really kind of glaring to you as well, like dieting and, and, and basic health that was kind of actually would have been really critical in, in stopping this? I mean, from a person, I know you've interviewed so many great people from a health perspective. Can you touch on, on your thoughts on that at all? I know it's a huge subject in its own there, but you know, dieting let's solve, and all those Let's solve you know. all the health issues. Yeah. Uh, well, the majority <laughs> of health issues that cost healthcare money are actually lifestyle related. And they usually are clustered together. So, you know, when they look at cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, um, and, and and they look at all those together, you know, metabolic disease or metabolic disorder, as they might call it, the we should be able to talk about it. You know, we should be able to talk about obesity being one of the top factors. Age is the number one uh, risk factor for COVID death. And, 
you know, all of this should just be dialogue. Because I think what's interesting is the truth doesn't care about discussion. Like it's totally open for it. Like if to me, I'm like, why isn't there a debate? If there is no concern about the data and the data is obvious, why do we no longer see hospitalizations by vaccine status? You know, the other thing that was really interesting is that I'd never seen a medical intervention when we looked at the data be counted 14 days after it was given. Like every outcome and side effect that occurs as soon as the pill is taken or the shots taken should be counted. And if you looked at the data, this was known early on, but you weren't allowed to talk about it. There was an increase in people catching COVID right after they got the shot. I think the height is at like five or six days. And Alberta's data actually counted from day zero of getting the vaccine. And what they saw was an increase in mortality in that time too, but those were being allocated to unvaccinated people. And that data since got wiped from the internet but it's still available from a blog. I can't remember the specific, I think it's Metatron is the data analyst who looked at all the data. But yeah, we certainly, you know, this conversation should be about health and it should be about the state of our society. It should be that we're the most traumatized in history for I think the second year in a row, the length of life has gone down, not up. We are the most medicated since the advent of pharmaceutical products. We're not healthier. We're not healthier. We're actually way more sick. Processed foods, sugar, the attack on fat. I mean, the idea that fat was bad was something from the 80s and 90s, which just allowed food manufacturers to put more sugar, which made food more addictive. And also, look, then we have an obesity and diabetic epidemic. So that conversation should be allowed, just as when you look at... I saw that there was a misallocated death in Alberta, I believe, for a kid, said that the kid died of COVID, but it ended up being that the kid, the family was like, no, that's not true. This kid was a pediatric oncology case, and they ended up apologizing. But what was really interesting in the comments, and I've seen this a few times, it just tells you the state of our mindset currently, is people were like, it's a kid who died. It shouldn't matter how they died. You're so insensitive for wanting to say this wasn't a COVID death. But never before in history have we had so many dramatic stories about specifically one form of dying and I, I are one risk factor. And public health should never orient around one specific thing. Just like lockdown should have taken into account the mental health, the impact on businesses, you know, the impact on unemployment, which also has an impact on mental health and mortality and morbidity years and years, decades after. And look at young people, you know, like if you look at the APA, the American Pediatric Association, they said that masking kids was okay. There was no data to say masking kids was bad. But of course, is this our new standard of data that there is no data? So there's no data to say it harms, so it must be okay. And then what they did, which was so fucking dark, is they deleted everything on their website that was about how important facial attunement was and how important seeing faces was, just so they could validate their information that they were now saying was fact. To me, all of this just reeks, it just reeks. To me, it's yeah. disgusting and I'm angry about it. Yeah. <laughs> if that's and, and I'm angry about it because people have been so manipulated and they've been so divided. And it, it's all because we don't want to be able to criticize this thing. And I remember as a kid, 
being at my friend's house and someone came to the door and it was the Jehovah's Witness. And my friend's dad said to the Jehovah's Witness, I'll listen to whatever you want to say, as long as you can tell me something you don't like about your religion. And the person was like, nah, I ain't doing that, right? And they left. And my friend's dad said to me, be mindful of anything you can't criticize. And I never forgot, I didn't know that that would become like a memory to me. But as, as all of this occurred, I thought that was such a red flag. Like we should be so terrified of anything we're not allowed to criticize. And I think it's interesting that censorship has been painted as being for our own good, much like how many fact checks are just an opinion from an opposing expert, you know, and usually an expert that's paid by pharma or just pro whatever the thing is. And as a rep, one thing I wanted to say that was interesting as a rep is, well, first off, you'd never put a physician who was against your product in a position of informing anyone about your product. That'd be stupid from a marketing perspective. But as a rep, whenever you sold a product, you'd get objection handlers. And the objection handlers were like booklets on what are the most common objections you're going to get for this product. And then what are the sort of canned answers or clinical studies that you can use to counter this objection? So what was interesting is when I would, at the beginning of the pandemic, I would say, hey, you know, I like I'm actually concerned because I've looked up this data and there's no long-term data on the program on the product. Now, granted, that's still true because a long time actually hasn't passed. So you can't say there is long-term data. But what we do as pharma reps is we say, you're right, there isn't, but these products have been actually in clinical trials since 2000. And so what I started to notice is that people, when there were common objections, had been primed by media and they'd been primed to regurgitate what a rep would normally regurgitate. And so it was so interesting to see because then I'd test people. I'd be like, yeah, you know, I've noticed that it doesn't stop transmission. You know what? They never said it stopped transmission. And I'm like, yeah, they did. And it actually reduces hospitalizations and deaths. And so it's for our hospital capacity. Well, if it was for our hospital capacity, why would we fire everyone with natural immunity? There's another red flag, by the way, the denial of natural immunity. And if it was really about capacity, why weren't we working on how to increase capacity? That's all we really had to do. But instead, all we did was focus on behavior manipulation, shaming, dividing society, pitting people against each other, and then cutting their jobs, having them stay isolated at home, psychologically assaulting everybody. You know, and at the end of the day, that just increases cortisol, increases inflammation, impacts the immune system, makes you eat more poorly. If you look at the studies on the last three years, more weight has been put on. So now we're just increasing the amount of obesity and the amount of like, how could a society right now where we have all gone through a collective trauma, this is a collective trauma. How do we repair from this? Well, it's going to take accountability for the way people were harmed. And I don't know that that's going to come. That takes so much humility because there is so much now invested in denying everything that's occurred. Even the flight mandates and the VAX stuff from the Canadian government, not based on any science. And the amount of harm that was caused by that. And if I could say about the media, the media shared a study 
that was a mathematical model that I'm sure you saw by David Fisman. And I think that's how you say his name. And he loves COVID. He loves vaccines. He loves all that stuff. And I'm sure he seems like a reasonably nice person. This isn't a criticism to his character. But his mathematical model was flawed, heavily flawed. And it was designed in order to get the outcome that he wanted. And those headlines that said, and these came out like late in the pandemic, way past like transmissions is obvious, all this stuff's obvious. And it was the unvaccinated R put the vaccinated at risk. This never made it into an international headline because it was such a garbage study, but it made it into almost every mainstream Canadian media. And the reason I was so angry about it making it is first off, they don't post anything that shows that the unvaccinated actually have great natural immunity. They don't show anything that might actually make you question, which just makes them all marketing arms of pharma. But what they did do is they made it so there was more division and they harm people. Like they don't actually see and they need to be held accountable for the psychological harm they've caused with irresponsible titles like that. I look at that and I'm like, I used to watch the news, you know, a long time ago before I realized its impact on my nervous system. But I was like, I can't believe that journalistic integrity has gone so down the toilet that like they... The amount of harm that was caused just by that title deserves to be paid for. You know, it was awful. Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully, the I have such a hard time wrapping my mind around is how are so many people pushing this stuff, like especially journalists, media people, even doctors and whatnot, where it's like you actually have access to the data or to looking into this. And you would like there are certain articles I've looked into where if you just sort of back up their sources or look through their sources, it's clear that they must know what they're presenting is misleading. It's it's always misleading. My sister has a background in immunology and virology. And right at the beginning of the pandemic, we were already questioning stuff. I mean, I probably would have, I was fine with the vaccine in terms of, I didn't think it was going to harm anyone, but I just said, you know, there's no longitudinal studies. I'm not ready to get something when we don't know, nobody knows. And they're just saying, no, it's safe, effective, all that. Um, but she would look at headlines and she's like, a virologist said this, but any virologist would know that's not true or that's misleading and here's why it's misleading. And people who don't have that background are going to think that this is what they need. And she's right. like, why are they doing that? And those are the things we're kind of going, I, I feel a bit crazy. And I was going over right. and over it in my mind, like, am I crazy? Is this just me? And I was trying to figure it I out. I thought I was crazy. I yeah, was like, am I losing my marbles? What's you know, going on here? Especially it's, when you don't know anybody else who agrees with you, when you don't have that sounding board. Because I go to my my circles of friends and they'd be going, you know, fuck the unvaccinated. They're killing people. Right. They're basically murderers. I'm sitting there uncomfortably in my chair like, oh, I, I shouldn't yeah. be here right now. Um, it's amazing how quick that happened. It's, it was shocking, right? that kind of language. It was fastest. Totally. Scary, scary stuff. But uh, the thing is that like, I was in class and my prof, I had said why well, I brought up some concerns I had about his kind of dialogue. I said, you can't call somebody unvaccinated because that, that's not properly defined. Unvaccinated against what? You know, anti-vax? Is that like, no, they'd be, wouldn't they be more pro-safe vaccine? Like a pro-safe vehicle. If you had a concern with your car, it's pro-safe. Shots? Is it three shots? Is it four? Yeah, like, exactly, right? That's just, it's too undefined and we're using it really, and I just said it in a really kind of sloppy manner. It's, it's dangerous. And he said, well, you know, it sounds like you didn't listen to, or, you know, you didn't listen to the scientists. It had gone, gone along something like that. I, it wasn't verbatim, but quite close. 
totally. And I said, well, actually, it's it's worse that they had such you know prominent degrees in many cases because that excludes willful negligence, it excludes incompetence, and actually now it seems to be nefarious some of these decisions. So just in, to the point of people going, well, there must be some evil intent. I don't like to think that way. You should try to you know assume the best in all people, but they haven't given us a reason not to think it was nefarious. You know, it just I haven't been proven otherwise. I would like to you know look for things to just to seem like it was an honest mistake right exactly. like that's yeah. i think the most destabilizing thing because yeah. we'd go wait i'm supposed to be able to trust the medical i'm supposed to be able to trust the medical industry i'm supposed to be able to tr- i would i don't think anyone should trust pharma and they should never should have there's full evidence to show that they are not trustworthy but i also never would have thought that um a canadian politician would lead with such a wedge issue and actually cause like if you're trying to win a majority and you're willing to do that like i've never seen the amount of hate before in canada before justin trudeau never and i've never disliked uh you know i've been like man that guy's full of shit but i've never hated someone and i don't hate him because i'm not going to let him steal my piece but I just feel like he's not responsible. He doesn't take responsibility for the impact of his words. And that means the only thing I can conclude is that it's very intentional because no one who's compassionate can speak that way. Like you just can't. And maybe he's a figurehead, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe that's how all politics works. Maybe that's true. Maybe the W, maybe Klaus Schwab is enjoying, you know, uh, a gin right now laughing at the world and how we're all fighting with each other instead of actually, you know, because the, the cure to globalism is localism, you know, and that's true from a food perspective. That's true. That's what we need back is family, is community, is connection, is compassion, which I think is starting to sort of, you know, some of my most oppositional friends, you know, are, are at least, you know, I've heard them say things like, well, the government was doing the best they could. And I was like, no, they weren't. So. Like all the data that's available now has been available for a long yeah. time. Like yeah. anyone who's been reading outside of the mainstream media knows that these studies, these conversations, they were going on ages ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. And there's just gonna be, in my mind, a huge hurdle for people to they they've been living this sort of reality that, you know, they trust the institutions, they trust big pharma, they trust the government, the media. And then in addition, they've been kind of in a virtue signaling way, um, labeling the unvaccinated and and treating them really, really badly. We've all experienced some sort of abuse from from people at one point or another. Um, They're going to have to at one point say to themselves, I was wrong about how I treated these people. I abused people. I trusted the media. They were lying to me. I trusted big pharma, I trusted my government. And I think that's a really, really hard thing to um, sort of wrap your mind around. I mean, even what I've had to come to terms with a lot of things, that was really difficult to sort of, as I was saying, I'd sit there going, I'm crazy. No, I I have to be crazy. (laughs) can't be true, right? Like your world has to fall apart. Yeah, it breaks down everything you've ever known. And then, I mean, there's other things where like this has happened, but it's opened the doors to other things where I go, okay, well, what about that? I've always believed this about this topic. Maybe I should look into it more and, and research That's it. That's the red pill, right? That's yeah. the matrix. Now you watch the matrix and you're like, <laughs> exactly. this is why I think this is such a red pill, which that term's been co-opted by men's rights movement. But this is such a red pill for people because 
if you're willing to eat that shit sandwich of humility and feel the shame that is going to come from the awareness that you've been duped, you're actually free. You're actually yeah. free because now you go, as you said, you start questioning one system, you see all systems. Mine started with questioning the system of relationship. Then I went into pharma because I was a rep and I was totally under that spell and, you know, wellness. And then I have every vaccine up until this one. So I'm not anti-vaccine. I actually think if people want to get it, that's great. I'm not even against the vaccine. I just think that it's good for some people, but not for everyone. And the idea that it's good for university students, I mean, it, you really have, I don't know what studies you're reading. Yeah. And now recently the bivalent vaccine that just came out in the United States, that one was only studied on eight mice and it was looking at their antibody titers. And you know that antibody levels have never been correlated to clinical outcomes. So when they do these studies where they look at booster data, which the Canadian one is for a former strain of um, Omicron, uh, they just look at antibody levels. The child approvals and the child studies are even more appalling. I mean, the fact that what we're calling science now is antibody levels in eight mice is just shocking. And the fact that we're willing to approve this for children, which no judgment, if people want to give it to their kids, that's their own choice. But if you actually, the fact that public health officials are promoting it in this space, yes. and I don't know if you saw those ads from the university of, or from the city of Toronto, yeah. But those were like direct behavior manipulation. Yeah. Like those were everything dark with what, if anyone wants to look up, they're called nudge tactics. And that's what public health uses are nudge tactics. Nudge tactics are psychological tactics to influence behavior. And maybe you too, I mean, maybe you can correct me. I'm wrong, Mark, you can correct. But didn't this, that show exactly the, the divide in, in, in health, understanding of true health, any, any concept of it, right? To, to, I mean, essentially it was putting the healthy at risk in benefit of, of the unhealthy. Not to say that anyone's right. not attack on anybody's character, but but there are people who are unhealthy and that's something to, to be addressed. How did it how did that right. occur? I mean, we you know, we even see that today with we had, it was in a sit in, sat in on a medical lecture a few nights ago and a doctor said, Oh, and 30% of men are going to get prostate cancer. That's what we're assuming is going to happen in about 10 years. And I said, Well, <laughs> what's going to prevent that? Right? Well, what right. would lead to that? And they said, Well, we don't really know. And that's that's like it wasn't of concern, but we've got really good treatments for it. You know, so oh, we, well, that's the answer. Let's not prevent prostate cancer and the like, morbidity that comes with it. You know, I just got to think it's so straightforward. And then I, of course, when I went on and I, I had, um, you know, gone asking on too many questions. I'm asking wrong. too many questions. <laughs> I'm setting it up for myself. Exactly. But isn't that that it? It's it's that there was a, at the end of it, you know, it's a fundamental lack of understanding around and around health from our, I think least one of the understandings I've come to from our, our public health officials. And then you're seeing it again. That's that's what it really just ticks me off is, is against students, right? That's like you said, it, it's really like Western. I don't even like it's not even based. You can't say this makes when you say this is to keep our campus safe. You actually, based on the data, might harm more students because it's going to take the number needed to treat is in the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. And, you know, the number needed to harm, which is another way they look at it is, is much lower, you know, for the potential for myocarditis, you know, and all the things, which I don't even know if you're allowed to say that word anymore. You know, like it's, if that's not a red flag that you're not allowed to say certain words, you're not allowed to talk about vitamin D, you're not allowed to talk about alternate treatments. You're not allowed to talk like, 
we're going to be in a world where you're not allowed to talk about anything and the government always has our best interests in mind. Get the fuck out of here. That is in history, every single tyrant, you know, and I'm like, I never thought, and it's so naive, I never thought Canada would ever be where it is right now. And I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed of Canada. I'm embarrassed of our righteousness that actually, although it protects our identity, it actually prevents us from actually being compassionate, from actually standing up for what's right, from actually seeing fairness, you know, and unfairness. You know, and I, I think people are waking up to that now. I think the more they attempt to give people booster after booster, they're kind of like, nah, bro, I ain't into it. You know, and I, I you know, I hope that people, because the only re- way people start to raise their volume is by hearing other people do it because the risk is less from a belonging perspective. Yes. That's why it's so important to actually speak up because when we do someone else who's on the edge goes, Oh wait, if I say this, I might lose these people, but I still have some people. Courage courage is infectious, right? Yeah. That's really hard with, um, sorry, with students against mandates. What I noticed, I like when I created the Instagram account, I was using as sort of this outlet to talk about what was happening at the university. And I was just like the inbox was flooded with messages from including my own professors who didn't know it was me running the account and they were like I got one dose and I got uh, an adverse reaction and now I'm going to get fired and I'm too scared to speak up and then I was getting students saying I want to say something but I can't thank you for doing it and it's like if you guys realized how many people are in these DMs like join me because I never would have known there were this many people I you feel completely alone and again, crazy until you start making those connections and then you're bringing people together. What I've noticed too is some of those people who reached out to me now that there's a bigger group speaking out. Now they go, okay, actually I'll have friends after I say something, I have this new group of friends. I can do it too. And then that just creates this ripple effect. So we just have to keep that momentum going. Everyone needs to say, okay, you know what? whatever happens, happens. If I lose friends, maybe they, they didn't um, truly care for me for my mind, or maybe they're just really struggling right now and afraid and have to be understanding and compassionate of that and, and go forward with that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's really surreal to have, like witness, you know, and see, see all that. happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would never would have spoken up if <laughs> before, unless I knew Lee. I mean, it really, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lonely feeling, right? We've all been through that. It's such a good it experience. Is. So for your personal development and so important, I mean, I like saying throughout the whole time, you know, I was victim to that. I wasn't perfect. You know, it, like it's, it's, it's actually allows you, myself to understand that, you know, it, I think it makes other people seem, it doesn't dehumanize other people in my perspective. It goes, you know what? I, I, gosh, if it wasn't for so-and-so telling me differently and I was surrounded by people who, you know, just kind of fed that same narrative, I don't know if I would have had the critical thinking to, 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 to say something. But you know what? From that experience, I'm going to work harder at, at having critical thinking, right? Like we're all human. It's, it's the basics of human. I think if there's one thing, you know, speaking of, there's so many different solutions, but one critical thing, and I, I don't usually give myself funny comments, but it's something I've really worked hard at is at least admitting when I'm wrong or trying to. And you got the ego in the back, right? Which wants to take kind of the control of you. It's, it's that balance of ego and, you know, and your consciousness and, and your, your bit of your sanity. But, but I think that's, that's a really good starting spot from, 
you know, maybe you'd have a different idea or agree with it, but from my perspective, at least, you know. And I fully agree with that. I think humility has to be modeled and curiosity has to be modeled. And one thing I didn't do well early on because I was angry is that I created the same division. You know, I had a dysregulated nervous system. I was upset. I felt villainized just for being curious. And so I caused the same division I was trying to fight, you know, and, and, and then you realize like, wow, when you start to actually get curious about what leads people to believe certain things or act in certain ways, you realize that everybody is actually doing individually the best they can. The government isn't, but individuals are, you know, even the people who didn't invite their family members or friends to Thanksgiving, that is awful, but they might say it's awful if someone wanted to come. And I actually understand that perspective because they were taught that this person is putting them at risk and they're being selfish. So they don't deserve to have Thanksgiving dinner with you, which on a very logical level, that sounds really bad. But if you've actually just been fed fear through a funnel for the last two years or year and a half, and you've been told that healthy people are biological weapons, I mean, how do you psychologically even not divide or other or, right? Like, that's why I do have a lot of compassion for what gets people there, but everybody has to wake up and take responsibility for their behavior. Like at the end of the day, we all have to go, I fucked up. I was kind of a dick. I wasn't treating you well. I did wrong. I shouldn't have done that based on all the data that you were talking about. You know, I saw a funny meme that said, I'll be accepting apologies at any time you know kind of laughing about the conspiracy yeah. there is family yeah some, truth, yeah some beneficial truth to that though and a, a kind of a good perspective in a, in a comical way right like it, it is a good thing to, to still be able to bridge that gap in the future yeah and, and to be like yeah try to go at it from a place of compassion like bringing people together rather than dividing more and it can be really easy to like hold on to that anger um, but just trying to put yourself in their shoes and think, okay, they really believe this stuff. I mean, case in point, I think this is a really good way of practicing bringing people together. So something where I was successful at, um, I had a lot of obviously hate messages coming into the students against mandates DMs. And this one girl was messaging me. She's like, I want to debate you on this. So I said, sure, let's, let's do it. And we we're engaging at first and like civil discourse was great. And it got to a point where I was giving her facts that she couldn't, uh, you know, come back with anything with. So then she went to attack to attacking my character and saying, you know, you're, um, you're a Nazi, you're evil, you hate people and you want people to die. And I just stopped. I was like, okay, I could get really angry right now. Or I could try to be understanding. She's frustrated. So I sent her a voice note so she could hear my voice and understand there's a human on the other side. I think people have been really dehumanized through all this. And I was like, yeah. hey, you know, up until this point, we've had a really good conversation. I'd love to continue it. But you have to assume I have good intentions, just like I've done with you. Because you know what? I feel just as strong about my point of view. And I'm standing up and doing this because I believe this is the way to help the most number of people. And I think that's what you want, too. So let's go forward and, and have this conversation and, and be respectful of one another. I was like, at the same time, too, how frustrating and how much does this suck? I was like, I hate lockdowns. I hate not being able to see my family. I bet you feel the same way. And then we just talked about things we had in common, which was just hating lockdowns. And then afterwards, she's like, okay, let's get back into the conversation. Talk for an hour. At the end, she's like, you're a really nice person. It was great chatting with you. You're a sweet person. I was like, yeah, like it doesn't, 
like if you can wait for one second and try to understand where they're coming from and then respond with kindness, like nine times out of 10, I've noticed people respond well and then they calm down, go, okay, this isn't an evil, evil person. They're not racist, misogynistic, who doesn't trust science, like all these things. Right. Old. And I think that kind of breaks through it a little bit. And she might have another 10 experiences like that and maybe open up and, and wake up to what's going on or who knows but um that's that's what we kind of have to do and it's tough like we've all lost people but um hopefully they they wake up and if they are big enough to come and sort of apologize and you know have a conversation about that working on bridging that gap would be great where where do you see this going um we don't want to take up too much of your time or anything but where yeah where do you see this going <laughs> essentially and how do we like great fix- question yeah. um where do i see it going well, it seems like a lot of the truths are continuing to come out, which is good. I either see the government trying to double down on what's been happening, uh, the denial of side effects, the denial of what's been going on. Who knows? Maybe insurance companies will save us with their actuaries and their data from you know the risk, because they're the ones who get to see the real data. Who knew that insurance companies might <laughs> save us? That's an irony, uh, right? That would be great. You know, I I do see a repair happening. Like I am starting to see the level of intensity of, of the trauma starting to dissipate because we're not as much in it. They're not, and that could be a, it's political that things are changing, you know, like they couldn't call an emergency forever, although they'd like to, but there definitely needs to be accountability. You know, there needs to be accountability to what's happened to the people who have done the things they've done, the misuse of language. You know, I think Justin Trudeau needs to be held accountable for the way that he's divided people, even if it was for political purposes. He wasn't responsible with the way he did things, and he divided a country instead of united it, which is what a leader is supposed to do. Um, I mean, I wish those are all things I hope. And I think we can lead individually by doing that, by starting to build bridges, by starting to have, you know, as you both have talked about, be curious, be humanize the people behind the other perspective too. Um, I mean, it seems like all the policies are kind of going away, which is good. And that's the fear dissipates, right? People aren't as angry. Yeah. They're questioning now that they realize, well, I've had COVID and I'm fine. Or my grandma's well, had COVID. is pretty obvious now, yeah. you know, like you can't deny that everybody who was vaccinated got COVID and then they're like, wait, I wasn't supposed to get COVID. And people I knew who were vaccinated got some of the worst COVID, yeah. you know, and it was supposed to protect them from severe disease. Also, it's not very scientific to say, you know, I got COVID and I'm so grateful for my vaccine because it would have been so much worse. That's not, that's that. not data. That's, I imagine if someone said I got COVID and I'm so grateful I took ivermectin or it would have been so much worse. Like no one would have been able to process that, but that actually has the same validity of science in that conversation. Um, So I hope that logic and rationale will return, which I think it will because emotional extremes will start to dissipate. Um, I hope that they don't try to keep people dysregulated because if they keep trying to feed us fear, then they'll keep passing policies that are according to that fear. In Canada, I don't know how much hope I have in the, court system to actually hold the government accountable. Like a lot of the court cases have been dismissed because they're moot now in that, you know, a mandate gets removed. So the court case about the mandate is no longer relevant, but it actually is incredibly relevant 
And I really hope our court systems honor us in that and protect our civil rights, our charter rights. Um, I really hope so. And Canada has let me down a lot in the last <laughs> two years. So it's hard for me to be like, yes, everything's going to be great. And um, I think we have to lead. You know, we have to lead. And this is an opportunity for young people to rise up and to participate in their civic duty and to express themselves and to like, really speak up and team up. And I mean, there's no more time that's more important now than ever, but it also shows how civically we've been lazy and we haven't partici participated in our politics. And like, listen, democracies don't take care of themselves. If there's one thing I've learned, like I was so naive, I thought a democracy would just take care of itself. And there'd be no issues. But now I'm like, I'm questioning everything, you know? Yeah. You gotta fight for hard. it and keep it up. Right. That is that is liberals. It's liberalism at the core is a very intense thing because we all have a huge responsibility to play. It's the citizens right. get to make. You know, it's easy actually. It is easier with allowing a a, a king or a queen to to rule. That's you know you you forego a lot of your responsibility. It's easy, but we actually have decided in our society that we're going to have a say in, in how we want things run. It's a it's a huge individual responsibility that. Um, you know, I, I unfortunately, hopefully, we hopefully with a positive direction, we we can see that actually becoming something we do uh, we do have hold a sense of pride about and, and work towards. Uh, well, speaking what you guys are doing, so important what you guys are doing because to have had this conversation as the pandemic was unfolding, as you've been doing, uh, at the cost of so many things, is really brave. So thank you for inspiring and and doing what you do. Oh, thank you too. And just before I let you go here, I just have to say what I find so effective about what you're doing is you've combined this like the emotional side with the logical side, which is what people really need to do. Um, that's why like I, I started with, I just see on my home feed, you're like your face on a reel. And I was like, oh, let's listen to this one. And the stuff you were saying, the information I was getting, I was like, that guy just makes sense. Like, and he's coming at it from the, the right way. I feel like you're going to reach a lot of people on the other side who haven't woken up because you're coming at it from the right perspective. And I think a lot of people are kind of in these echo chambers, even on this side, we're just speaking to people on our side who agree with us. Whereas how do we get those people to open up and think about it? And right. your your way of doing that has just, it's incredible. So thank what you. What a so model much. for, for yeah. us in that. Absolutely. Yeah. One of our one of our, our teachers, our, uh, you know, <laughs> unofficial. We don't have you in our curriculum, but you're- Always uh, sharing the post. Yeah. It's our, well, thanks so much, Mark. Uh, I hope we get out and enjoy yeah. the Calgary yeah, Thanks summer. so much for having me. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Maybe we'll talk care. again soon at some point. Yeah. I hope so. You just let me know. Absolutely. Wonderful. Take care. Have a Mark. good one. Yeah.